we continue our series through the first three chapters of the Bible this morning in Genesis 1. So please take a Bible and open to Genesis 1, page 1 of the Blue Pew Bibles, right at the very beginning of what we understand is God's word given to us. I have, uh, if you don't know me, I have three young kids, 10, 7, and 5. And uh, I remember, especially as they were younger, loving to kind of happen upon my kids in their room alone playing. And I loved watching them play when they didn't know that I was there. What they did in those moments, what they were saying to themselves as they talked, what they were building or designing. I felt like I was learning about them truly about who they were. Because they were only doing what they wanted to do. They were doing it because they wanted to do it. Not because anybody else had told them to. That was just what they would like to do in those moments. I love that. Last week in Genesis 1, 1 and 2, we saw how God, the one true God, created the heavens and the earth. And those verses, especially that first verse, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, sort of serves as a summary statement for the rest of chapter 1. When he initially created, there was darkness, nothing was formed. And in the verses we'll consider today, God goes about forming and filling these heavens and this earth. As we watch God create this world, it's like me watching my kid. We are watching him work alone. He's not coerced. He's not pressured. No one has given him a blueprint to follow plans that they must, he must check off. He, he's doing this of his own accord. We get to learn about and hopefully worship God as we watch him work. In order to help us worship him and see what he does, we're going to think about Three questions that come out of this text. Three questions. This is kind of how, how I'll organize most of my time. Three questions. First question, what, what did God make? What did God make? Second, how did God make it? And then thirdly, why did he make it? Why did he make it? Pretty straightforward, I hope. Hopefully we'll get sufficient answers to all those things. I think we will. And just know that once I start into point three, uh, we're going to directly answer the question. But then there's going to be more after that. So if you're like, where are we? That's where we are at the end. So let's read Genesis 1. And we'll start in verse 1 and we'll read through verse 25. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. So I think there it's just talking about the clouds and then what's in between and then the water on the earth. In case you're wondering. I won't come back to that. And it was so. 
And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. And let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. To rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth and according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So what did God make? God made all things. As we saw last week, he made all things out of nothing. Before he created, nothing existed. The narrative here focuses mainly on that part of creation that someone on earth would be able to observe. There is, of course, much more to his creation than that. The heavens, the vast uncharted expanses of space. And the Bible attributes God with making those too. John 1.3 says Jesus made it all. Many of you have asked me this week, how is there light on day one, but the sun and moon don't come until day four? Well, I don't really know. But I have two possibilities that I can think of that make sense of the text. First, God made a light source on day one and then made more on day four that relates specifically to our planet, the sun and moon, for example. Very plausible given how large the universe is that that's the answer. Or second... Remember, nothing existed before God made it. Light, as we conceptualize it, did not exist in space and time. So independent of a light source, God maybe made light without yet locating its source in any singular object like a star, which makes your mind kind of blow up to think about. But I think it's possible. On an entirely blank canvas, look at what God imagined and made. 
so much of what, really everything of what we know kind of comes back to his imaginative, creative abilities. And so much more of what we don't know. No artist, no matter how skilled, no musician can do this. Behind every impressive human achievement is a more awesome God. Rembrandt could not paint without the pre-existing notions and forms of light and color. He did not create those. He didn't make the eye to see and appreciate his brushstrokes. Taylor Swift makes music that is very popular and loved in our world with materials she didn't make. The guitar she holds built from a tree, the fingers that press the chords, the voice that sings, the ears that hear the song, the atmosphere that has been specially built to transmit the sound waves or the physics involved in sound waves. Not to mention the emotional makeup of our beings that respond to art and music and feel in response to them. He made those all. No human accomplishment is independent of God. All impressive things, when examined more closely, will reveal an awesome God. It is so unavoidably true that even people who don't follow Jesus acknowledge God exists by the incredible world around us. Ken Kenny and I were talking over coffee earlier this week. Ken was reflecting on how even before he knew to follow Jesus or wanted to follow Jesus, he always looked at the world around him and thought, someone made this. If you would like to make inroads into spiritual conversations with non-Christian friends, invite them to go on a walk with you. Not today. But to go on a walk with you outside and ask them who, you th- who they think made everything that you guys are looking at as you walk. Christian, when you find you're cold, spiritually, or even bored with worshiping God. And we do get to those places, don't we? Well, that could be because you've been duped into thinking our life in this world is more important than the God who reigns over this world. Stop what you're busy at. Stop and stare at the greater thing that God has done. Each particle, every uncharted galaxy speaks in worship to him. Humanity and all our discovery and investigation still must humbly admit there's so much we don't know. We could camp out here in these six days for days and days and hardly start fathoming our infinite creator who made it all. But we're going to move on and continue our worship of God in our second question. God made all things. Secondly, how did God make all things? He made all things by his word, by his word. There are six commands that God makes in this text. That correspond to the six days. So the plain reading here. When you see how morning and evening is repeated over and over. Is that God's mighty word. Was more than capable. Of unveiling our entire universe. In under a week. That's how I take it. Not that he couldn't have done it all in one word. In one day or one millisecond. 
But as we'll see in a couple of weeks, God is here laying out a purposeful plan and pattern for six days of work, then rest, which is for our benefit. Every day begins with, and God said. Mankind is puzzled for centuries over why we're here. And here we're given part of the answer. We are here. Everything is here because God spoke. And according to Hebrews 1.3, everything remains here because Jesus Christ upholds it by the word of his power. The text confirms this by regularly repeating the phrase, and it was so. God said, and it was so. God said, and it was so. When God gives the instruction, the power of his word is entirely effective to carry out the command. That's not just on these six days either. That's not just limited to this amount of time. That is always true, actually, of God's word. When he speaks anything in decree or command or promise, the thing he speaks gets done. Compare that to our words. No matter how much we might will or wish a thing, we cannot create by speaking. We can't genuinely promise tomorrow what will happen. You and I were designed, as we explored last week, and we'll continue to explore the theme here. We are designed as dependent. We're designed to depend on food and water for life. And so you see God preparing that for us even here. As he makes the earth and he makes fruit-bearing trees to sustain animals and humans. But the life in your food comes from the life first given from God and his word. One precedes the other. The food is a shadow. And it points to a more eternal substance we need to live on, which is God's word. Jesus said this very thing. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of the Father. We depend on God for life. So the next time that you are hungry, remember, you're not just, creav- you're not just craving a material meal. You're craving life. That only God can give you. In the six commands that God gives. We see a sequence. God is building something. They build on each other. If you noticed. An interdependent ecosystem of light. And land. And water. And plants. And animals. And God's word as it always does. Brings order to all of this. And so I would suggest to you. That evolutionary theory is an entirely unsatisfying answer to the intricate design of our world. God's word creates life and orders it, and that's a perfect description of what he does when he saves us. When God saves, he is not remodeling our hearts. He is creating an entirely new heart. And our spiritual growing as Christians is not reform, it's recreation. As the Spirit uses his powerful word to make new desires and new motives and new obedience when there wasn't any of those things truly before. God speaking, God speaking 
is the answer to our disordered hearts and lives. That is where the power of change exists. If you are wanting to change this morning, you have probably come to realize that try as you might, you cannot change your heart to do what is good on your own. You cannot coerce your heart to love what is right on your own. You cannot wrangle and bridle your mouth to say what is true on your own. We need God to speak this life into us. If it's going to come out, it's got to be put in. We need God's spirit to breathe on our hearts with his word. Now this dramatically affects our engagement with the Bible. Expect that your heart and mind will not change if there's none of God's word in our lives. Just expect it. These are the means God uses. These are the ones he's shown us very clearly even from the first chapter of how he intends to work and through what and where the power is. So just expect that. If, you, if you're trying to change your life in some way apart from God and his truth, It's not going to work. It might work shortly. It might work in some ways. But if it's not geared and governed and guided by what we find about him here, it will not produce Christ-likeness. It will not produce real life. So, if you're not engaged in his word, start. Get in it. If you don't know how, get in it with somebody else. Look to the person next to you when this service is done and say, hey, will you read the Bible with me, please? I need to get back in it. That would be a great thing to do. Start a Bible reading plan. Start a Bible study. Memorize scripture. But know this. We do not change because we are reading words on a page. We change because his word speaks to us and changes us. It is a force. It is powerful. The spirit picks it up and does what we cannot by our efforts. So when God's word is open, we should always be inviting God to create new things in us through the word that we're reading. Engage it that way. See what God does. We'll think more about God's word in a moment as we move to our third question. How did God make all things by his word? Third question. Why did God make all things? That's a million dollar question. I'm going to give you three answers. And I think are here in the text. First, to enjoy. Second, to bless. And third, to glorify. Why did God make all things to enjoy, to bless, and to glorify? He made all things to enjoy. Six times in this passage... It says God steps back at the end of the day, reviews his work, and what does it say? God saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. This statement, God saw that it was good, tells us, lets us into what God thinks of what he was making and what we are then in turn to think of what he made. God took pleasure in what he was doing. In these six days, God in his workshop, happily allowing his wisdom and character and creativity to spill all over into this planet and universe that we inhabit. 
God's delight comes out in Psalm 104 that Paul Long read for us earlier. A commentary on creation there. Did you notice verse 26? I love verse 26. He talks about Leviathan, which is some kind of sea creature, maybe a whale, just a, a giant sea creature. And did you, did you notice the purpose for which he made it? To play in the ocean. That was God's design for the whale, if that's what it is. To frolic in the ocean. God enjoyed this. God makes good things. Why? Because God is good. What features of his creation did God look at each day that made him think that's good? I wonder that. What was he seeing? Let me give you a few. Beauty. Life. Peace. Abundance. Order. Majesty. Size. Great and small, depth and breadth, diversity, variety, detail. You could fill out that list later today for a helpful meditation. What did God see that was good? The world can be a wildly enjoyable place, people. Seriously, that's not like sinful to say. He made it. As creatures living on this good earth, we can and should enjoy what God enjoys. Notice I didn't say we can and should enjoy everything. Because we'll understand that we have acted in a way that distorts his goodness and what he gave us. But what God enjoys, we can and should enjoy. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 4 that religions that create rules that prohibit marriage or push the need to go without food are totally missing this. He says, God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the, church, the truth, good things. For everything God, everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. For it's made holy by the word of God in prayer. So you do not need to feel guilty about taking a vacation. And resting because God made rest good. Or for simply taking off during lunch to go take a walk outside. When you sit down to a good meal, it's good to take a bite and say, oh, that's good. And really enjoy it. To give attention to growing something in a garden. Or studying things you're curious about in our world. Animals, stars, plants. Kids, it's a great thing to go outside. Like you like to do. And run and play in the world that God has made. That's a great thing. You know why it's good? It is a good thing when you do that. Because when you do. And then you say. Thank you God for making this world that I can run and play in. Then you are experiencing God's goodness. God's purpose in creating the world was to bring into being a universe that did not just simply operate or exist, but that communicated his goodness. In the design and direction of our planet, we witness a moral quality, goodness. Anytime we see goodness, God is there. This is one reason why God made the world. Second is to bless. Is to bless. God creates for the good of what he creates. Look at verse 22. 
And God, after making the fish and the birds, blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. So even before he will create man and woman, God is already operating to bless those things he made, even animals. God blessed his world. And the particular blessing we see here is that they would keep seeing repeated the miracle of God's creation through them. Creation would, by God's design, multiply life. The world would fill with it in this sequence and pattern. It would show more and more that God creates all this that they're enjoying. So from the cold of winter, they would see God make spring. We get to witness this too, don't we? We praise God for it earlier. From Daniel and Christina Farmer, God brings Norma Jean. God creates and then fills his creation with life and in that way blesses it. I heard a story this week. Maybe you saw it that an Austrian heiress is giving away her $27 million fortune so that those who don't have can share in what she was given. And I'm thinking to myself as I read that story, which tells you about me, why in the world would she do that? Yep, I'm selfish. I keep going back to the thought as I read through Genesis 1. Of all the ways God could have done it, he did it this way. He made a world where we, and not just us, but everything he made could share in the best that there is. Life, beauty, joy. The world was made to give us, who were before not, an opportunity to tangibly experience life from God. Why would he do this? Because God in his love wanted us to receive that gift. God made in order to bless. Third, God made to glorify. God made to glorify. This is God's primary reason for creating our world, to specifically glorify himself. To communicate who he is and what he's like. And for, in turn, from this communication that is made, to bring us, his creatures, to understand that he is praiseworthy and worthy of honor and worship and delight, which is what worship is. Genesis 1, then, is a revelation. It's a revelation. The primary function of this chapter is to show us God. Let me say that again. The primary function of this chapter is to show us God. This is why I'm not going to spend any time in this sermon talking about day-age theory or gap theory or where the dinosaurs come in or many other great questions we might wonder over. Because that's not the main point. There are side trails, helpful ones to help us build out. But the main message is worship this God who made you. God's world exists to reveal God. 
We are meant to look around and conclude without doubt that this God is the real God and this God made everything. We see God in how he creates. We see his power when his mouth opens and the universe appears. We see his unsearchable wisdom and the grand design of how it all fits and works together and how there are incredible details about it from the smallest particle to the atom to the greatest galaxy. We see what kind of God he is and that he creates the good things because he himself is good and he wants to give good to his creation. And we see it in that he is a God who goes beyond description. What he does here, who else could do? Nobody. It is a miraculous world we live in. Every day you and I can witness countless miracles as we watch birds fly and sprouts grow. And the sun's path. And the star's patterns. We see God in how he creates. We can see God in what he creates. Creation shows us God's beauty. The beauty of how the cheetah runs. I love cheetahs. And how the eagles soar. Or a field of tulips in the Netherlands. Or acres of sunflowers in France. That follow the pattern of the sun on a daily basis. Or amber waves of grain in mid-America. The pure snow of winter. The green grass of spring. Flocks of seagulls at the beach. Flittering butterflies in a meadow. The soaring majesty of a mountain peak. The endless expanse of an ocean. The cool of a fall morning. The warmth of a summer afternoon. These are all but snapshots of the total beauty of God himself. Himself. Creation's abundance shows God's beauty and it shows that he is a generous God. Things were made not to be made and then to die. Things were made to live, to reproduce on and on and on. We see his generosity and how he intends for creation to be a place of abundance. A reproducing vegetation that will ensure all his creatures will always have more than enough to eat. A vast variety that allows for the never-ending study of nature without ever exhausting what is there. Creation speaks the truth. Romans 1, 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived Ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. This good creation is the product of a very good and glorious God. And I would say if we stopped our sermon this morning, we will have our fill of things to think about and worship him for, for this week and the rest of our life. But there's another thing weighing on my mind. Perhaps it's on your mind this morning. The world of Genesis 1 doesn't exist anymore. This world God created is still here and much to see of him in it. But in its beauty like this. The world God created we live in is no longer this good. In fact, it hasn't been this good for a long time. Only a few chapters over in Genesis 6, 5, and 6. Listen to what then God sees. Compare it to what God sees at the beginning. He says it's good. Listen to what he sees and he looks at. At what happened to what he made. 
the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry that I've made them. What in the world happened? Our sin happened. God gave creation to us to enjoy. And man, instead of worshiping God and his creation, turned the creation into a God. Romans 1 says, we suppress the truth that was plain, that he made it, and we made false gods instead in his place. Evil made the good world so bad that God then judged it with a flood. And even still has said he will come again to judge all sin and wickedness. You want to know the most dangerous thing that exists in our world today? The human heart. Our hearts, when directed on ourselves, have the capacity to destroy the world. A telling question that will reveal our hearts to us this morning is this. What do you want from the world God made? What do you want from the world God made? And I would suggest to us that the only good answer is this. I want the world, including me, to bring praise to God. Everything we have is supposed to point us to God. So that we honor and worship him as the greatest of all. Anytime something we have or experience does not take us to that conclusion, we are misusing the thing for which it was given, rejecting the truth of God in it. Everything God makes, too, can help us better appreciate God who made it. Now reject that idea, that God is underneath all good things and leads us to worship. Reject that in your life and you will do great harm to what God makes. Selfish spouses will harm their spouses. Selfish parents will harm their children. Selfish people will harm other people. Every sin is in some way a rejection of God as Lord and creator. God is the one who creates. He's the one who blesses and fills. Sin destroys. Sin curses. And it kills. Everything God did in Genesis 1, as we keep reading and studying, will be undone by Genesis 3. The beauty, broken. The perfection, stained. Reproduction will be painful. The verdant fruitfulness will be plagued by disease and decay. And let me tell you something. This is where the mystery of God's wisdom starts to really blow all our categories. If all creation is meant to point us to God and his glory, then you may be wondering, why would God ever make something susceptible to being misused as humanity has done with God's world? 
Because God's purpose at the beginning of creation was always to take us to a new creation at the end. Do you remember in the kid's story, Peter Pan, when Peter's shadow splits from Peter and Wendy needs to sew it back on? It's silly because we all know you can not have a shadow without the real thing attached to it that makes the shadow. Did you know that our created world is a shadow? This world is not the most truth, most real thing. There's something more substantial. In history then, what I'm suggesting to you that God is revealing in his world is that when he begins, he shows us the shadow first. And then he will move us to the substance. God is not trying to get us back to what he made at the start. That was the start. And he started there in order to take us to a greater end. God is taking us to something much better. A substantial reality of which the first creation serves as merely a shadow. We say God is all powerful and all knowing. And by that we affirm, as God's word affirms for us, that he knew and planned that after the goodness of what he made in Genesis 1, there would be the evil of Genesis 3. The way he made the world, I think, in Genesis 1, shows us he knew that. The creation will point to something more. God made light and darkness, thinking about what was coming. God made light and darkness as an enduring picture of the difference between his goodness and his and evil that we would need to know. He made the earth to spring forth in life as an ongoing picture of what the power of his word can do in the lives of those who are dying, which he knew we would be. God's creation then is a staging area for a greater and better creation to come. So the Bible begins revealing a mere picture of a a simply physical creation. But the Bible will end revealing God through his new and different and ultimate creation. A world markedly better and markedly different. A world we're told in Revelation that will be a world with no sea. A world of endless light. A world with no darkness. A world where lion lays down with the lamb. A world where trees produce eternal life. In the beginning, God created a world that could be corrupted. And once it was, he continued his master plan to bring people into a world that can never be corrupted. A truly perfect world. And the mystery deepens even further when we see how God does that. He uses the same means, his most powerful word, Only this time, the word enters into the creation as God and man, Jesus Christ. The word becomes flesh. He comes as the true light. 
He comes as the one shining in the darkness. He crosses the expanse of the heavens to come to earth. He comes as the vine, the branch that brings life to all who believe in him. He comes as the piercing light, the son of God whose truth reveals to us our hearts. He comes to show God's goodness and to bless all of creation. And in response, his creation sinned and rejected their savior and their creator. They cursed and killed Jesus. Jesus, the creator, crucified by hands he had made on a dead and lifeless tree, which he had fashioned to show the life he brings. And which a man cut down and refashioned as an instrument of death. Jesus died under the curse of God against creation's rejection of God as their creator. Jesus died as the object of man's greatest sin. We who reject him, who had come to us, and he died as the object of God's greatest punishment against our sin. He was rejected by God on the cross. And as he died and the noon sky went black and the earth shook, it seemed everything would go back to the way it was before God created everything. As if God would judge it all one last time. But that's not what happened. Jesus rose. He rose from death. And his light pierced through the darkness of sin and the curse of death. And his power conquered it. In him is light. And the light in him is the light for us. So friend, if you have understood this morning under the power of God's preached word to convict you that you have rejected him, then here is your creator and your savior who came to be rejected for your sake so that you might be included in the family of God and have life with him forever. Recognize that it was your sin that rejected him. Recognize that it was his grace and love that caused him to come to work a new creation in your life. And he will give it to you. This is our appeal to you. If you don't know Jesus, repent of your sin. Believe that Jesus died to forgive you. All who do believe in Jesus, we are now walking proof That the light of Christ, the creator and savior, is more powerful than the evil of our world. And the darkness that exists beyond what we can see. Listen to what God's word says. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For you, Christian, he has shined to let you know that Christ has come to make you new and make you new truly. God created this world to show his glory. God brings a new creation to this world in time and in the end to show us the glory of Christ and invite us then to live in a perfect world with him forever. Church, we exist between these creations. We exist between them. Jesus is the difference between the first and the last. Think of all that you know of God and his glory that you would have never known without Jesus. Think of his grace 
Think of his love. Think of his security. Think of his sacrifice on your behalf that overcomes all obstacles to your life with him. The glory of God, the creator, is now enhanced in a greater way in our hearts because we live in the glory of God, our savior. And Jesus is now how we enjoy life. This world that God made to provide us was never meant to be the final place. Never meant to be the place where our hearts find full satisfaction. We can only be full in Christ and Christ provides all we need to that end. We can even enjoy life when things are hard and difficult. When God made us new, he made us new, Ephesians 2.10, to do good things. You can believe in him and trust in him and encourage other people to do the same in their trials and do good things, even in hard and difficult times. You can enjoy God that way. In trial, you can enjoy the good, God, the good that God has done in your life. Anytime and anywhere, you can be thrilled with the process God has undertaken for you to take away your corruption and replace it with Christ-likeness. Anytime, anywhere. When Christ, our Savior, returns, he will finally create new and he will be done. It will be finished. The shadow will fade. And the thing it reflected all along will finally fully appear. There will be no darkness for his presence will be the sun. There will be no death for the tree of life. Christ will be available to all. How else are we to respond to all this but worship? The creation in Genesis 1 tells us that God creates all things by his own word. To enjoy, to bless, and to glorify him. And it points us to Jesus who creates new hearts by his word. The new creation God has in store will be unimaginably better. It will be a world of eternal good. Of everlasting enjoyment. It will be a world of rehearsing God's glory. So when Christ comes to create this new world... Will you have the new heart required to enjoy that world? To live in that world? If not, Christ offers to speak and make your heart new today. Let's pray. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord, in all creation. Just and true, mighty and good. You are the king, you are the creator, you are the savior. Lead our hearts to worship you, to seek you for the new creation work that only you can do if we've not. And to rejoice in you again and have our cold hearts warmed. To see that you are a God who does what is good and you're doing it in our life. Lord, help us to have the discernment and the mind of Christ to discern what is good and what is evil. Please help us to have a, a vision and a sight and perspective to see that this world is the shadow and the substance of what we expect will come through Christ. 
These are things beyond what we can naturally comprehend. We require you to help us in them. We pray you would shift and change and create in our hearts what's needed so that our lives might be useful and used for the work they were made to do, which is give you all glory and honor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.